again. Move this closer. I got a phone call. Hope it's God calling. I want everyone here today to um, raise your hand. You have to raise your hand now. Oh, not yet. I haven't asked you the question yet. And then you're going to raise your hand. How many of you feel guilty about your prayer life? So would you please raise your hand? No, 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 you can't. No, not, not this little like this. Come on, raise your hand. Good, good, good. Thank you. Good. Now, now I want you to take your Bible or cell phone or iPad, whatever you used to read the Bible, and hold it up. Okay? Oh, we got some Bibles, some cell phones. Okay, now, how many people in this book, and by the way, there are over 1,000 people named in this book, more than 1,000. How many people in this book say that they are guilty about their prayer life? Thank you, you're right. Zero. Not a single person. Now, there's a problem. Did you get the problem? I've done this more than 10 times to thousands of people, thousands now. I've hardly had anyone not raise their hand when they ask if they're guilty about their prayer life, including myself. But when you hold up your Bible, there's not a person in this book that has mentioned that they're guilty about their prayer life. You don't see the problem. That's an enormous problem. You see, the Bible says prayer is supposed to relieve your guilt, not create guilt. And yet we all feel guilty. Why? Why do Christians by the billions in our world, we're over two billion, feel guilty about their prayer life and not a single person in the Word of God does? That bothered me for a long time. And finally somebody helped answer the question. The man's name is Charles Swindoll, someone I like a lot, a pastor. Yes, and this is what he wrote. It's from a book entitled Strengthening Your Grip on Prayer. I should tell you up front that this is not going to be your basic religious-sounding chapter on prayer. Sorry, I just don't have it in me. No, I'm not sorry. To be painfully honest with you, most of the stuff I have ever read or heard about prayer has either left me under a ton and a half truckload of guilt or wearied me with pious-sounding cliches and meaningless God talk. In no way do I wish to be disrespectful by saying the following things. But I believe it's time somebody declared them to help clarify the barrier that keeps us from entering into authentic prayer. That barrier is the traditional wrappings that we have placed around prayer. Not even the grand models of church history admitted much joy or peace or satisfaction in their prayer life. He's got a list of about 20 names. Every one of them, the greatest prayers that we know of in history, all of them are ashamed of their prayer life. Go down the list. And we find one another working hard at prayer, but frequently we'll find they're dissatisfied, some of them even woefully unhappy about their prayer life. Here's what he writes. At the risk of sounding downright heretical, 
I'm convinced that for centuries Christians have forced prayer into a role it was never designed to play. I would suggest that we have made it difficult, hard, even painful. The caricature that has emerged through years of traditional, not biblical modeling is now a guilt-giving discipline, not an anxiety-relieving practice. It is self-imposed. It does not come from God. You ready for a shocker? You don't find any of that in the scriptures. Except in very few and extreme cases, prayer is neither long nor hard. And I cannot find any biblical carrier characters who struggled with guilt because they didn't pray long enough or because they weren't in enough pain or because they failed to plead and beg sufficiently. Check it out for yourself. It isn't there. What Swindoll is saying, and I don't think I've heard anyone else say this, almost everything we believe about prayer as Christians, almost everything, doesn't come from the Word of God. It comes from people's experience of prayer with God, and almost every one of them is dissatisfied. We've got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Trinity, we have a problem. Our problem is we say we're people of the book, but we're not taking our cues from the book. We're taking our cues from biographies and other books that people have written, but God did not write them. This is the book he wrote. And so today, we're going to look at a passage which teaches us to pray. In fact, it is a prayer. Ephesians chapter 1. Turn with me there in your cell phone or, bi or Bible, whatever it may be. Because today, we're going to look, we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul how to pray better but we're not going to get our cues from biographies. We're not going to get our cues from dissatisfied Christians. We're not even going to get our cues from heroic, great Christians. We're going to get our cues from the Word of God itself. This is one of the best passages. I titled this, this um, text, or the sermon today, Prayer Requests, because that's what it is. Paul is going to now pray for the Ephesian believers. Remember last week? It was praise. Praise be to the God of, and praise to his glory about what he has done for us. All these benefits he has made available to us. He's told us who we are. We're God's children. We're incredibly special in God's eyes. But we have a problem. The problem is we don't believe that. Nor do we act as if it's true. We are princes and princesses and we act like we're paupers spiritual paupers so how do you change it how do you take people like ourselves who say yeah i'm pretty rotten i screwed up again i can never get it right to people who realize i'm a son i'm a daughter of the living god i have christ in me and i am in christ how do we change that prayer that's what Paul is going to teach us today. So in your Bibles, if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, we're going to begin with the Apostle Paul. He's going to tell us 
what caused him to pray? What prompted him to pray? Now, we all pray, every one of us in this place. But if you think about it, I would love to make a list. If I said, what, what, what makes you pray each day? I know what some of you would say. Food. God bless this food. Thank you. Amen. Um, we, we pray because of food. We do that oftentimes three times a day. Another thing that prompts us to pray is a crisis happens. In my family just last night, one of my family members, there was a death in my family. And crisis, a crisis like that, we go, oh God, help, help. I need your help. That causes us to pray. For some of us, for many of us, um, prayer is a daily discipline, which is, which is good. Even people write books like Seven Minutes with God. So it's, it's a daily discipline. Sometimes it's a meeting that causes us to pray. We have our prayer meeting. So because it's supposed to be a meeting for prayer, we pray. One of the main things that causes us to pray is physical needs. When someone is sick or when we, we're sick, we pray. Sometimes that's called an organ recital. We tell God about our organs, our physical organs. Sometimes we pray because it's, it's just like a routine. Now I lay me, lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It's something we do at the end of the day. Many times we pray out of tradition. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There are many, many things that prompt us, that cause us to pray. But the question is, what caused Paul to pray? Let's see what he said. Verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while, mentioning, while making mention of you in my prayers. Can't get any easier than that. He says, this is why I prayed. Did you see the reasons? The first three words are, for this reason. Well, what's his reason? Remember what he's just done in the previous verses? He's told these Ephesian believers about their incredible inheritance that they have in Christ, their incredible identity as to who they are in Christ. As he ponders that, that causes him to pray. What is it that prompts his prayer? A reflection on the person and the work of God and what God has given to us in Christ. That's the first thing that prompts his prayer. And did you see the second thing? Paul says, I heard about you. I heard from the grapevine. This is called good gossip. I heard that you are people who, who are exercising your faith in Jesus Christ and you're loving each other. When I heard about that, what did I do? I prayed. I thanked God. Now, two things prompted his prayer. A reflection on the person and the work of God and our identity in Christ. That's number one. Number two, a good report about what God had been doing in people's lives caused him to pray. Now, think about it for a moment. What are those two things that prompted him to pray? Are they positive or negative? Positive. Are they good things or bad things? Good things. Are they delights or duties? Delights. 
Are they a, a, a part of normal life or an interruption from normal life? Normal life. Now, do you look through our prayer list? Most of our prayers are negative. They're about bad things that are happening to people. But that's not what prompted Paul to pray. It was good things. Oh, when I think about the good things God's doing in your lives, oh, I'm so happy. You see, what is prayer? Prayer is not telling God what you want Him to do. Though that's what much of our prayer is. Prayer is not a monologue to God, or worse yet, giving God a lecture. You know who does that? Preachers. Have you ever... Don't ever do this to me because I'd be so embarrassed. Don't do it to anyone else either. But I do it because I'm guilty. Here's what. Have you noticed how in prayers, many times, pastors preach their sermon again? Who are they preaching it to? Who are they preaching it to in their prayer? God. I think God needs to hear my sermon. He really does. God, I think you need to hear my sermon today. That's blasphemy. God does not need to hear my sermon. I need to hear from him. He does not need to hear my sermon. I think he knows my sermon. But that's what we use prayer for. We use prayer to, to tell God about our sermon, to make sure we got it right or something like that. It, or, or, or prayer is not presenting God with a list of Christmas witches. That's Santa Claus. That's not prayer. Billy Graham said it this way. Prayer is simply a two-way conversation between you and God. What if you had a friend, and in your relationship with this friend, they talk incessantly, and they never listen to you or let you speak? Is that a good relationship? That is a horrible relationship. But think about it. If prayer, in fact, is a two-way conversation between ourselves and God, what if we do all the talking and none of the listening? Is that a good relationship? No, it's not. It stinks. Let me make a suggestion. Remember when we were little kids? Little tiny kids. And we were being taught... When you go to school and you walk to school before you cross a road, what must you do? Remember? Oh, stop, look, listen, and then walk. Stop, look, listen, then walk. Okay, there's my suggestion. Stop. Did you ever notice? that in the midst of Paul's glorying and the spiritual blessings of God, he stops to pray. How often do we, um, in the midst of, of, of everyday life, just stop and pray? H hundreds of times I do this. Because, look, when you, because even Bill uh, mentioned this morning in, in his prayer, when you see the beautiful trees, Oh, they're beautiful right now. 
or a beautiful sunset or sunrise or you see something beautiful which we see all the time do you stop and do you do you look we do look we see it but then what do you do yes that's called prayer I don't know about you but what do you do when you see that homeless person on the street as we see lots of them today oh man another one look look that's somebody's son or daughter that may be somebody's father or mother they're precious in the eyes of God why didn't when we just look and that looking prompts us to pray oh God have mercy on this precious child of yours made in your image when we're awakened in the middle of the night and someone comes to mind, maybe God is saying, let's talk. When we see something good in somebody's life, when we see it, we say, oh, nice. Or do we say, oh, God, thank you. That was really nice to see something good in their life. When I was in seminary, one of my professors was a man named Victor Walter. I liked him a lot. He was a pastor. That's probably why I liked him. But he was in a church where he had to conduct prayer meeting every week. I've had to do that for some years. And, and sometimes it's hard to know what are you going to do. So what Victor Walter decided to do with the church he was a pastor of is spend, before they prayed together in a small group of people, they were going to go through the Bible and just look at the prayers of the Bible. And he said, here's what he wrote. With a group of people, we decided to study all the prayers, prayer instructions, and prayer promises in the Bible, not knowing that we were in for some shocks. In fact, we discovered that most of our prayer patterns were wrong. Here's one of the ones he said. Paul's prayers reinforced what was succeeding. Paul did not pray for the things that went awry or the programs that sagged. He prayed for the commendable. We are so prone to reverse this in our church life. We take for granted that which is succeeding, and we undergird the faltering and the problem-ridden. When did you last devote prayer time to your ablest church leader or offer intercessory prayer undergirding the strongest program in your church? Did you see Paul's prayer? You say, oh, oh, Father, this Ephesian church is a bunch of, of, of idiots. They can't get anything spiritually right. That's not what he did. He said, oh, God, they are faithful to you. They love each other. This is good. May that grow and grow. You see, every church has faults. We have them here, for sure. But there are also things that are strong about this church good so often we devote our prayers to the things that are falling apart what about doing what God's Word suggests what about praying for and thanking God and asking him to enrich the things that are going well it's a different way to look at things perhaps stop look listen you see again prayer is a, a two-way street and in the same thing, one of the things that, uh, that, that Victor Walter noticed was 
that in Genesis we found 45 prayers 35 of them initiated by God not the person you see almost all of our prayers are initiated by us and if almost all of our prayers are initiated by us what does that say we're not listening because God wants to speak. And he gives us his word. He gives us his Holy Spirit. God puts these thoughts into our minds. God brings these things to our attention, to our eyes. He wants to talk. God initiates most prayers, but we don't see it that way. Maybe because we don't listen. Stop. Look. Listen. Now that's funny that you'd say, I'd say walk, because that's one of Paul's favorite words in the book of Ephesians. I think it comes up seven times. A famous book on the, a famous book on the book of Ephesians is entitled, Sit, Walk, Stand, Walk, Walk. I found that one of my best ways to pray, and I don't do it often enough, is to walk. You see, when I'm in a prayer meeting and bow my head and fold my, and close my eyes, um, I don't know about you, but that's a posture for me of sleep. <laughs> Maybe I know you're all more holy than I am, but that, that says sleep. But when you walk, it's kind of hard to fall asleep. I've never fallen asleep when I'm walking yet. But you see, when you're walking, your eyes are open. Oh, look at that tree. It's beautiful, beautiful. Oh, God, that's wonderful. Walk. Walk with God. Just a suggestion. How often does the glory and the grace and the goodness of God prompt us to, to pray? How often do we thank God when we see God at work in other people's lives or when we see him at work through the life of the church? And how often do we stop and thank God when we see somebody else applying God's word to their life, particularly when they're going through tough, tough things? And we all do that at some times. How often do we pray for what is succeeding and what is healthy? rather than what is failing and what is sick. You see, Paul was prompted to pray by the goodness of God and the goodness of the other of people he saw. That's what prompted his prayer. But then you might ask the question, well, what did Paul pray for? Now this week I, 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 I looked at and I, with you, I, 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 I used the prayer sheet. And I hope all of you do as you leave today, get one of... Trinity Church's prayer sheets. And if you get one, the first thing you're going to see on there, and I love it, prayer, praise, and thanks. Because that's where Paul begins. But then you're going to see a whole list of, of needs. And your prayer requests are good. There are prayers for physical needs. There are prayers for comfort during times of grief. Um, but let's see what Paul prayed for. Here's verse 17 that in other words what's he going to pray for that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and reflect and revelation in the knowledge of him Wow Paul's first request is for the Ephesians is that they would come to know God better Paul could have prayed a thousand things for the church of Ephesus. But he says, 
Remember in the first part, he tells us who we are in Christ. But the problem is we don't get it. You see, human beings do not naturally know God. Why not? Well, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked, and we don't even know it. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that we human beings naturally suppress the truth about God. The Bible teaches us that sin has darkened our comprehension of spiritual truth. Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 that there's no one who understands God. There's no one who seeks God. And since none of us naturally seek the real God, we seek gods of our own making, but not the real God who made us. Since we do not seek God, since it's not our natural bent to understand God, what's our need? Our need is for God to help us. We need God's help. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ said. If you, he's talking to his disciples, if you, though you are evil, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants us to know him. And he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us to know him. He's given us his word to tell us what he's like. But we don't get it. Why not? We need help. And so the Apostle Paul says, God wants that. Let's pray that they'll get it. Um, do you have anyone in your life that you really would like to know, but you've never met them? I have one. My middle name is Olaf. People think I'm a snowman. <laughs> Children know that if you do from Frozen, the, the movie Frozen, that the, the snowman is, Fro is Olaf. That's my middle name. I'm named after my grandfather. He was the immigrant who came from Norway to the United States in the early 1900s. He wasn't a Christian when he came. He became a Christian, and apparently he was a great man. I'm named after him. I think I was one or two. I've got a picture of my grandpa holding me, but of course I don't remember him at all. I'd like to know him. How would you know somebody you've never met? Well, I guess I could read about him, but he was just a, a poor carpenter. Nobody wrote any books about my grandpa. My father and mother are gone, so I don't know many stories about my grandpa. All the people that knew my grandfather are, are long gone. How do, I, how do I know him? How can I know someone I've never met, but I really like to know him because I'm named after him? Well, <laughs> obviously, you need outside help. And I guess I don't have outside help with my grandpa. But Paul gives another request. Look at verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Paul says, I pray that your heart eyes may know the hope of your calling 
your incredible value to God and the incomparably great power that is made available to you in Christ. Because naturally, you won't get it. We live, even though we're Christians, with a sense of hopelessness. We, have very, we think we have very little value, and there's very little power in our lives. That's normal for us. Paul knew, Paul knew that. Paul knew that about the Ephesian believers, even though he was the pastor of this church. And so he says, oh, Father, I pray, I pray to you, help them to know that hope. Help them to know how precious they are. Help them, Heavenly Father, to know how great is the power that is available to them. Perhaps you've na heard the name of um, William Randolph Hearst. He, the Hearst Mansion is out in California. He was a newspaper publisher, a very, very, very wealthy man. And he, he read about this, um, this uh, very famous piece of artwork that he said, I want to buy that and include that in my collection. And so he, he set his agent, his art agent, out on a search to find this piece of art because he wanted to buy it. After a long search, the agent came back and said, uh, Mr. Hurst, it's in your warehouse. You already bought it. And now they put it up in the, in the house. That's what it's like for us. You say, oh, God, help me. I, 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 I have no hope. I think I'm absolutely worthless, and there's no power in my life. Help me. Won't you give me those? And, and God would say, no, 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 no. Those are already yours. They're in the warehouse. You've already, they've already been bought. They were bought for you on the cross. Jesus bought them 2,000 years ago. They're yours. The problem is we don't know how to claim them. We don't know how to claim that hope, that power, and that inheritance. That's the problem. Most of our prayers, as you can see, are about physical needs, and that's okay. C.S. Lewis wrote this, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, God knows that these, the pains in these bodies are really, they, they scream to us. So it's no surprise that our prayer lists, mine and two, is full of prayers that are physical. But let's broaden a bit. What if we could in include in our prayers for our physical bodies and comfort for people as they suffer with, with the death of people they love? What if we broaden that? Oh, God, help, help us as a congregation to know, to have some hope. In fact, that's what I believe is part of my responsibility as an interim pastor is, is to, to, to revitalize our hope, to see who we really are. This church has an incredible history, but we can easily lose hope. And, and we say, well, we have no power anymore. We're, we're, you know, it's all gone. No, 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 it's not. It's still available. And we're God's inheritance. We're precious. Oh, we, we have a lot of empty space here in this, con in this auditorium, but we're precious. We're God's inheritance. We're precious to Him. Well, 
Why does Paul pray? That's the last few verses. Why does he pray? He prays because he knows that God is powerful. How powerful? Let's find out. Verse 19. These, these requests, these prayer requests are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So he starts by the power that is available is like the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and the power that enthroned Jesus to the right hand of God the Father. That's a lot of power. And then it goes on. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Power that raised him free Jesus from the dead, the power that put Jesus at the right hand of the God, the power that overcomes all other spiritual forces, and there's more. Verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. The power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that put Jesus at the right hand of God the Father of Almighty, the power that defeated all other opposition to God, the power that put Christ as the head of the church, that's the power. Now what could stop that? Well, prayerlessness, we never ask God to empower us. Or disconnectedness. Jesus said, abide in me, and if my words abide in you, you shall bear much fruit. But if we don't abide in him, the fruit's gone. John D. Rockefeller was the world's first billionaire. It is said that for many years he lived on crackers and milk because his stomach troubles caused worrying about his, health, his wealth. He rarely had a good night's sleep, and guards stood constantly at his door. He was wealthy and miserable. When he began to share his wealth with others in great philanthropic endeavors, his health improved considerably, and he lived to be an old man. He had all this wealth, it was destroying him until he started to give it away. We call our president, our president is regularly called the most powerful man in the world. Yet, if you compare our president to the power that is available to us in Christ, our president's power is a joke. He is not the most powerful man in the world. Not even close. Not even close. We do not need to more, pray for more power. We need to tap the power that's already available to us. How? Through prayer. And so, how do we end? What are some practical things that I can leave with you? Remember how I told you how the book of Ephesians is put together? The first three chapters, there are no commands. It only focuses on who we are in Christ. Be not do. The do's come in this latter half. And so these seven suggestions are all B's. They're not do's. B number one. Beware. Beware. Of what? 
most of our teaching about prayer is, de is derived from sources outside the Bible. Beware. Let's let the Bible be our guide. Beware. Most of our instruction, most of what we believe about prayer is derived from sources outside the Bible. Beware. Let the Bible be our guide. Number two, be relieved. I think the longest prayer in the Bible, if I'm not mistaken, is three minutes in length. Most of the prayers in the Bible are short and simple. They're not lengthy. They are not sophisticated. Let's be careful about making the extreme our standard. Most prayers in the Bible are actually arrow prayers. Oh, God, bless so-and-so. That's a prayer. Oh, God, thank you for that. That's a prayer. Prayers are not long in the Bible. They're very, very short. Number three, be surprised. If the Bible is our primary prayer guide, we might be surprised by the fact that um, the prayers in the Bible are, 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 are surprising. Not only are they short, they're honest, they're earthy, they're raw, and they're sometimes scandalous. All of us have terrible thoughts. Somebody does, uh, does us dirty, and we think some really bad things. All of us do that. What do you do with those bad thoughts? The Bible says, don't act on them. What should we do with them? Tell God. Oh, God. Have you read the Psalms lately, by the way? David is a real, oh, my. The Psalms are prayers. He says, oh, God, I'm so ticked. I'm so ticked. Would you send that person to hell? Now, no, no, we don't ever want that. But do you feel that? Yes. What do you do with those feelings? Don't act on them. Tell them to God. That's what prayer is. Be surprised. The Bible is full of very, very, very earthy prayers, even scandalous ones. Take our terrible thoughts to God. That's where they belong. Number four, be aware. Be aware that God, through the Holy Spirit, is eager to commune with us. He's more interested in talking with us than we are interested in talking with Him. Be aware. Just open your ears. Open your eyes. Stop. Look. Listen. And walk with Him. Be aware. Be cautious. Number five. Be cautious. Jesus warns us that prayer can easily degenerate. It can easily degenerate into works righteousness. Since I pray more than you do, I'm holier than you are. Baloney. It can easily turn into something that we do so that other people think we're spiritual. Jesus warned us about that. It's very dangerous. Jesus says, be careful lest your prayer become a bunch of meaningless repetition or gimme sessions. Give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. Be careful. Be cautious. Be broader. Broaden your prayer life to include spiritual, not just physical needs. To include corporate, not just individual concerns. Positive, not just negative things. Gratitude to God for what is working, not just griping to God about what is failing. Broaden, be broader. And last, 
begin again. Begin again. Maybe our prayer life has fallen, it's become stale. Begin again. Don't give up. Go back again. There was a couple, and they were driving to dinner to celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary. As the husband was driving, the wife began to lament. Honey, remember it how it was when we were first dating and then first married? We used to sit so close together in the car, and now look at us. You're on that side, and I'm way over here. The husband replied, Dear, I haven't moved. That's what God might say to us. You see, remember what it was like when we were first Christians? We talked to you all the time, and now it's just kind of stale and repetitive, and God says, Honey, I never moved. I've been here all along. It's you that have moved. So Christ might say, move on back. Come on back. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, teach us to pray. We've got a lot to learn, but what a, a privilege. Oh, Heavenly Father, may you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, capture our hearts so that we could know you better. May you fill this body with, with hope, the hope of our calling as a, a group of people who bear the name of Jesus. May we see how precious we are in your sight. May we, Heavenly Father, fulfill the calling that you have set for this body in this particular place at this time. We can't do any of it without your help, and that's what we pray for in Jesus' name.